The Second Slice of the Magic Pudding by Norman Lindsay. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. The Society of Puddin' Owners were up bright and early next morning and had the billy on and tea made before six o'clock, which is the best part of the day because the world has just had his face washed and the air smells like pear's soap. Aha, said Bill Barnacle, cutting up slices of the puddin'. This is what I call grand. Here we are, after a splendid night's sleep, on dry leaves, having a smoking hot slice of steak and kidney for breakfast, round the campfire. What could be more delightful? What indeed, said Bunyip Bluegum, sipping tea. Why, as I always say, said Bill, if there's one thing more entrancing than sitting round a campfire in the evening, it's sitting round a campfire in the morning. No bed and blankets and breakfast tables for Bill Barnacle. For as I says in my breakfast ballad, If there's anything better than lying on leaves, it's rising from leaves at dawning. If there's anything better than sleeping at eve, it's waking up in the morning. If there's anything better than campfire light, it's bright sunshine on waking. If there's anything better than pudding at night, it's pudding when day is breaking. If there's anything better than singing away while the stars are gaily shining, what singing a song at dawn of day on pudding for breakfast dining? There was a hearty round of applause at this song, for as Bunyip Bluegum remarked, singing at breakfast should certainly be more commonly indulged in, as it greatly tends to enliven what is on most occasions a somewhat dull proceeding. One of the great advantages of being a professional puddin' owner, said Sam Sornoff, is that songs at breakfast are always encouraged. None of the ordinary breakfast rules, such as scowling while eating, and saying the porridge is as stiff as glue, and the eggs are as tough as leather, are observed. Instead, songs, roars of laughter, and boisterous jests are the order of the day. For example, this sort of thing, added Sam, doing a rapid backflap and landing with a thump on Bill's head. As Bill was unprepared for this act of boisterous humour, his face was pushed into the puddin' with great violence, and the gravy was splashed in his eye. "'What do you mean, playing such bug-foodlin' tricks on a man at breakfast?' roared Bill. "'What do you mean?' shouted the puddin', "'playing such food-buglin' tricks on a puddin' being breakfasted at.' "'Breakfast humour, Bill. Merely breakfast humour,' said Sam hastily. "'Humour's humour,' shouted Bill. "'But puddin' in the whiskers is no joke.' "'Whiskers in the puddin' is worse than puddin' in the whiskers,' shouted the puddin', "'standing up in his basin. "'Observe the rules, Bill,' said Sam hurriedly. Boisterous humour at the breakfast table must be greeted with roars of laughter. To Jeredalum with the rules, shouted Bill. Pushing a man's face into his own breakfast is beyond rules or reason, and deserves a punch in the gizzard. Seeing matters arriving at this unpromising situation, Bunyip Bluegum interposed by saying, Rather than allow this happy occasion to be marred by unseemly recriminations, let us, while admitting our admirable friend Sam, may have unwittingly disturbed the composure of our admirable friend Bill at the expense of our admirable puddin's gravy, let us, I say, by the simple act of extending the hand of friendship, dispel in an instant these gathering clouds of disruption. In the words of the poem, Then let the fist of friendship be kept for friendship's foes. Never let that hand in anger land on friendship's holy nose. 
These fine sentiments at once dispelled Bill's anger. He shook hands warmly with Sam, wiped the gravy from his face, and resumed breakfast with every appearance of hearty good humour. The meal over, the breakfast things were put away in the bag. Sam and Bill took puddin' between them, and all set off along the road, enlivening the way with song and story. Bill regaled them with portions of the ballad of the Salt Junk Sarah, which is one of those songs that go on for ever. Its great advantage, as Bill remarked, was that as it hadn't got an ending, it didn't need a beginning, so you could start it anywhere. As for instance, said Bill, and he roared out, Ho aboard the Salt Junk Sarah, rollin' home across the line, the bosun collared the captain's hat and threw it in the brine. Rollin' home, rollin' home, rollin' home, across the foam, the captain sat without a hat, the whole way rollin' home. Entertaining themselves in this way as they strolled along, they were presently arrested by shouts of, Fire! Fire! And a fireman in a large helmet came bolting down the road, pulling a fire hose behind him. Aha! said Bill. Now we shall have the awe-inspiring spectacle of a fire to entertain us. And accosting the fireman, he demanded to know where the fire was. The fact is, said the fireman, that owing to the size of this helmet, I can't see where it is but if you will kindly glance at the surrounding district, you'll see it about somewhere. They glanced about, and sure enough, there was a fire burning in the next field. It was only a cowshed, certainly, but it was blazing very nicely, and well worth looking at. Fire, said Bill, in the form of a common cowshed is burning, about nor, nor'east as the crow flies. In that case, said the fireman, I invite all present bravely to assist in putting it out. But, he added impressively, if you'll take my advice, you'll shove that puddin' in this hollow log and roll a stone again the end to keep him in. For if he gets too near the flame, he'll be cooked again and have his flavour ruined. This is a very sensible fellow, said Bill, and though Puddin' objected strongly, he was at once pushed into a log and securely fastened in with a large stone. How'd you like to be shoved in a blooming log, he shouted at Bill, when you was burning with anxiety to see the fire. But Bill said severely, Be sensible, Albert. Fires is too dangerous to puddin's flavours. No more time was lost in seizing the hose, and they set off with the greatest enthusiasm, for as everyone knows, running with the reel is one of the grandest joys of being a fireman. They had the hose fixed to a garden tap in no time, and soon were all hard at work, putting out the fire. Of course, there was a great deal of smoke and shouting and getting tripped up by the hose, and it was by the merest chance Bunyip Bill glanced back in time to see the wombat in the act of stealing the puddin' from the hollow log. Treachery is at work, he shouted. Treachery, roared Bill, and with one blow on the snout, knocked the fireman endways on into the burning cinders, where his helmet fell off and exposed the countenance of that snooting, snouting scoundrel, the possum. The possum, of course, hadn't expected to have his disguise pierced so swiftly, and though he managed to scramble out of the fire in time to save his bacon, he was considerably singed down the back. "'What a murderous attack!' he exclaimed. "'Oh, what a brutal attempt to burn a man alive!' And as some hot cinders had got down his back, he gave a sharp yell and ran off, singeing and smoking. Bill, distracted with rage, ran after the possum, then changed his mind and ran after the wombat, 
so that what with running first after one and then after the other, they both had time to get clean away and disappeared over the skyline. "'I see it all,' shouted Bill, casting himself down in despair. "'Them low puddin' thieves has borrowed a fireman's helmet, collared a hose, and set fire to a cowshed in order to lure us away from the puddin'. "'The whole thing's a low put-up job on our noble credulity,' said Sam, casting himself down beside Bill. "'It's one of the most frightful things that's ever happened,' said Bill. "'It's worse than treading on tacks with bare feet,' said Sam. "'It's worse than being caught stealing fowls,' said Bill. "'It's worse than being stood on by cows,' said Sam. "'It's almost as bad as having an uncle called "'Aldebrafinofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofofof
Come and see if we can't find someone that it won't bust a man's vocal cords getting information out of. They left Henderson to his horticulturing and walked on till they met a parrot who was a swagman or a swagman who was a parrot. He must have been one or the other, if not both, for he had a bag and a swag and a beak and a billy and a thundering bad temper into the bargain. For the moment Bill asked him if he had met a singed possum, he shouted back, "'Me eat a singed possum? I wouldn't eat a possum if he was singed, roasted, boiled or fried.' "'Not et, met!' shouted Bill. I said met a singed possum. Why can't you speak plainly then, said the parrot. Have you got a fill of tobacco on you? He shook out his pipe and scowled at Bill. Here, said Bill, cut a fill and answer the question. All in good time, said the parrot, and he added to Sam, You got any tobacco? Sam handed him a fill, and he put it in his pocket. You ain't got any tobacco, he said scornfully to Bunyip Bluegum. I can see that at a glance. You're one of the non-smoking sort. All fur and feathers. Here, said Bill angrily. Enough of this beating about the bush. Answer the question. Don't be impatient, said the parrot. Have you got a bit of tea and sugar on you? Here's your tea and sugar, said Bill, handing a little of each out of the bag. And that's the last thing you get. Now will you answer the question? What question, asked the parrot. Have you seen a singed possum, roared Bill. No, I haven't, said the parrot, and he actually had the insolence to laugh in Bill's face. Of all the swivel-eyed, up-jumped, cross-grained sons of a cock-eyed tinker, exclaimed Bill, boiling with rage, if punching parrots on the beak wasn't too painful for pleasure, I'd land you a sock-dog langer on the muzzle that'd lay you out till Christmas. Come on, mates, he added, it's no use wasting time over this low-down hook-nosed tobacco-grabber and leaving the evil-minded parrot to pursue his evil-minded way, they hurried off in search of information. The next person they spied was a bandicoot carrying a watermelon. At a first glance you would have thought it was merely a watermelon walking by itself, but a second glance would have shown you that the walking was being done by a small pair of legs attached to the watermelon, and a third glance would have disclosed that the legs were attached to a bandicoot. They shouted, Hi, you, with the melon, to attract his attention, and set off running after him, and the bandicoot, being naturally of a terrified disposition, ran for all he was worth. He wasn't worth much as a runner, owing to the weight of the watermelon, and they caught him up halfway across the field. Conceiving that his hour had come, the bandicoot gave a shrill squeak of terror and fell on his knees. Take me watermelon, he gasped, but spare me life! "'Stuff and nonsense,' said Bill. "'We don't want your life. "'What we want is some information. "'Have you seen a singed possum about this morning?' "'Singed possums? "'Sir, yes, sir, certainly, sir,' gasped the bandicoot, "'trembling violently. "'What?' exclaimed Bill. "'Do you mean to say you have seen a singed possum?' "'Singed possum, sir? "'Yes, sir,' gulped the bandicoot. "'Very plentiful, sir, this time of the year, "'sir, owing to the bushfires, sir.' "'Rubbish!' roared Bill. "'I don't believe he's seen a singed possum at all.' "'No, sir,' quavered the bandicoot. "'Certainly not, sir. "'Wouldn't think of seeing singed possums if there was any objection, sir.' "'You're a poltroon,' shouted Bill. "'You're a slaverin' quaverin' melon-carrying nincompoop. "'There's no more chance of getting information out of you "'than out of a terrified turnip.' "'Leaving the bandicoot to pursue his quavering, melon-humping existence, "'they set off again.' "'Bill giving way to some very despondent expressions. 
"'As far as I can see,' he said, "'if we can't find something better than stone-deaf hedgehogs, "'peevish parrots and funkin' bandicoots, "'we may as well give way to despair.' Bunyip Bluegum was forced to exert his finest oratory "'to inspire them to another frame of mind. "'Let it never be said,' he exclaimed, "'that the unconquerable hearts of puddin'-owners "'quailed before a parrot, a hedgehog, or a bandicoot. "'Let hedgehogs deaf go delve and dig, "'immune from loudest howl. "'Let bandicoots lump melons big, "'let peevish parrots prowl. "'Shall puddin'-owners bow the head "'at such affronts as these? "'No, no, march on by anger led, "'our puddin' to release. "'Let courage high resolve in flame, "'our captive pud to free, "'our banner wave, our words proclaim.' We march to victory. Bravely sung, exclaimed Bill, grasping Bunyip Bluegum by the hand, and they proceeded with expressions of the greatest courage and determination. As a reward for this renewed activity, they got some useful information from a rooster who was standing at his front gate, looking up and down the road, and wishing to heaven that somebody would come along for him to talk to. They got, in fact, a good deal more information than they asked for, for the rooster was one of those fine, upstanding, bumptious skites who loved to talk all day, in the heartiest manner, to total strangers, while their wives do the washing. "'Singed possum!' he exclaimed, when they had put the usual question to him. "'Now what an extraordinary thing that you should come along and ask me that question!' "'What an astounding and incredible thing "'that you should actually use the word singed "'in connection with the word possum. "'Though, mind you, the word I had in my mind "'was not singed, but burning, "'and not possum, but feathers. "'Now I'll tell you why. "'Only this morning, as I was standing here, "'I said to myself, "'Somebody's been burning feathers. "'I called out at once to the wife. "'Fine woman, the wife. "'You'll meet her presently. "'Have you been burning feathers?' no says she well said i if you haven't been burning feathers somebody else has at the very moment that i'm repeating the words feathers and burning you come along and repeat the words singed and possum instantly i call to mind that at the identical moment that i smelt something burning i saw a possum passing this very gate though whether he happened to be singed or not i didn't inquire which way did he go inquired bill excitedly "'Now let me see,' said the rooster. "'He went down the road, turned to the right, "'gave a jump and a howl, "'and set off in the direction of Watkin Wombat's summer residence. "'The very man we're after,' shouted Bill, "'and bolted off down the road, followed by the others, "'without taking any notice of the rooster's request "'to wait a minute and be introduced to the wife. "'His wife may be all right,' said Bill, as they ran, "'but what I say is blow meetin' a bloomin' old rooster's wife,' "'when you haven't got a year to waste listening to a bloomin' old rooster.' "'They followed the rooster's directions with the utmost rapidity "'and came to a large hollow tree with a door in the side "'and a notice-board nailed up which said, "'Watkin Wombat Esquire, Summer Residence.' "'The door was locked, but it was clear that the puddin'-thieves were inside "'because they heard the possum say peevishly, "'You're eatin' too much, and here's me, most severely singed.' not getting sufficient, and the wombat was heard to say, "'What you want is soap,' but the possum said angrily, "'What I need is immense quantities of puddin.' The avengers drew aside to hold a consultation. 
"'What's to be done?' said Bill. "'It's no use knocking, because they'd look through the keyhole and refuse to come out. "'And not being burglars, we can't bust the door in. "'It seems to me that there's nothing for it but to give way to despair.' "'Never give way to despair, while whiskers can be made from dry grass,' said Bunyip Bluegum. "'And suiting the action to the word, he swiftly made a pair of fine moustaches out of dried grass and stuck them on with wattle gum.' "'Now lend me your hat,' he said to Bill, and taking the hat, he turned up the brim, dented in the top, and put it on. "'The bag is also required,' he said to Sam, and taking that in his hand, and turning his coat inside out, he stood before them, completely disguised. "'You two, he said, must remain in hiding behind the tree. You'll hear me knock, accost the ruffians, and hold them in conversation. The moment you hear me exclaim loudly, "'Hey, presto, pots and pans!' You'll dart out and engage the villains at fisticuffs. The rest? Leave to me. Waiting till the others were hidden behind the tree, Bunyip rapped smartly on the door, which opened presently, and the wombat put his head out cautiously. Have I the extreme pleasure of addressing what can wombat esquire? inquired Bunyip Bluegum with a bow. Of course, seeing a perfect stranger at the door, the wombat had no suspicions and said at once, "'Such is the name of him you see before you.' "'I've called to see you,' said Bunyip, "'on a matter of business. "'The commodity which I vend "'is Pootle's patent pudding enlarger, "'samples of which I have in the bag. "'As a guarantee of good faith, "'we're giving samples of our famous enlarger away "'to all well-known puddin' owners. "'The enlarger, one of the wonders of modern science,' has but to be poured over the puddin' with certain necessary incantations, and the puddin' will be instantly enlarged to double its normal size. He took some sugar from the bag and held it up. I am now about to hand you some of this wonderful discovery, but, he added impressively, the operation of enlarging the puddin' is a delicate one and must be performed in the open air. Produce your puddin', and I will at once supply Pootle's patent with marvellous effect. Of course, it's understood that no charge is to be made, said the possum hurrying out. No charge whatever, said Bunyip Bluegum. So on the principle of always getting something for nothing, as the wombat said, Puddin was bored out and placed on the ground. Now watch me closely, said Bunyip Bluegum. He sprinkled the puddin with sugar, made several passes with his hands, and pronounced these words. Who incantations utters, he generally mutters his gruesome blasts and bands. But I, you need not doubt it, prefer aloud to shout it. Hey, presto, pots and pans! Out sprang Bill and Sam, and set about the puddin' thieves like a pair of windmills, giving them such a clip-clap clouting and a flip-flap flouting, that what with being punched and pounded and clipped and clapped, they had only enough breath left to give two shrieks of despair, while scrambling back into Watkin Wombat's summer residence, and banging the door behind them. The three friends had puddin' secured in no time, and shook hands all round, congratulating Bunyip Bluegum on the success of his plan. "'Your noble actin', said Bill, has saved our puddin's life. Then puddin' thieves, said Sam, was children in your hands.' "'We hear you,' sang out the possum, and the wombat added, "'Oh, what deceit!' "'Enough of you two, shouted Bill. "'If we catch you sneakin' after our puddin' again, "'you'll get such a beltin' that you'll wish you was vegetarians.' "'And now,' he said, 
for a glorious reunion round the campfire. And a glorious reunion they had, tucked into hot steak and kidney puddin' and boiled jam roll, which after the exertions of the day went down, as Bill said, grand. If them puddin' thieves ain't sufferin' the agonies of despair at this very moment, I'll eat my hat along with the puddin', said Bill exultantly. Indeed, said Bunyip Bluegum, the consciousness that our enemies are deservedly the victims of acute mental and physical anguish, in parts, it must be admitted, an additional flavour to the admirable puddin'. Well spoken, said Bill admiringly, which I will say, that for turning off a few well-chosen words, no parson in the land is the equal of yourself. Your health, said Bunyip Bluegum. The singing that evening was particularly loud and prolonged, owing to the satisfaction they all felt at the recovery of their beloved puddin. The puddin, who had got the sulks over Sam's remarks that fifteen goes of steak and kidney were enough for any self-respecting man, protested against the singing, which he said disturbed his gravy. "'More eating and less noise is my motto,' he said, and he called Bill a leather-headed old barrel-organ for reproving him. "'Albert is a spoilt child, I fear,' said Bill, shoving him into the bag to keep him quiet, and without more ado, let off with... Ho aboard the salt junk, Sarah, rollin' home around the horn. The boatswain pulls the captain's nose for treatin' him with scorn. Rollin' home, rollin' home, rollin' home across the foam. The boatswain goes with thumps and blows the whole way rollin' home. But, said Bill to Bunyip Bluegum, after about fifteen verses of the salt junk, Sarah, the superior skill, ingenuity, and daring with which you bested them puddin' snatchers reminds me of a similar incident in Sam's youth, which I will now sing you. The incident, though similar as regards courage and daring, is totally different in regard to everything else, and is entitled The Penguin's Bride. "'Twas on the saucy soup tureen that Sam was foremost hand, "'when on the quarter-deck was seen a maiden fitten to be a queen "'with her old uncle stand, and Sam at once was sunk all in passion deep and grand. "'But this here aged uncle, he was the hurl of buncle, and Sam a foremost hand, "'and Sam he chewed so junkle day with grief forlorn because the hurl of buncle, "'the lovely maiding's uncle, regarded him with scorn when sailing by by Barbado, the saucy soup tureen, before she could be stayed, oh, went down in a tornado, and never more was seen. The passengers were sunk all beneath the raging wave. The maiding and her uncle, the noble Harl of Buncle, was saved by Sam the Brave. He saved the noble uncle by diving off the poop. The maiding in a funk hall, he saved along with uncle upon a chicken coop. And this her niece of Buncle, when they got safe to land, for having saved her uncle, the noble hurl of Buncle, she offered Sam her hand. And that old uncle Buncle, for joy of his release, on Burgundy got drunk all day in Castle Buncle, which hastened his decease. The lovely maiding Buncle inherited the land, and now her aged uncle has gone the hurl of Buncle, is Sam the foremost hand. Of course, said Sam, modestly, the song goes too far in saying as how I married the hurl's niece, because for one thing I ain't a marrying man, and for another thing what she really says to me when we got to land was, 
"'You're a noble feller, and here's five shillings for you, "'and any time you happen to be round our way, "'just give a ring at the servant's bell, "'and there'll always be a feed waiting for you in the kitchen. "'However, you've got to have songs to fill in the time with, "'and when a feller's got a rotten word like Buncle to find rhymes for, "'there's no saying how a song'll end.' "'The exigencies of rhyme,' said Bunyip Bluegum, "'may stand excused from his too strict insistence on verisimilitude, "'so that the general gaiety is thereby promoted. "'And now,' he added, "'before retiring to rest, let us all join in song.' "'And grasping each other's hands, they loudly sang "'The Puddin' Owner's Even Song. "'Let feeble feeders stoop to plates of oyster soup.' Let pap engage the gums of age and appetites that droop. We much prefer to chew a steak and kidney stew. Let yokels course appease their appetites with cheese. Let women dream of cakes and cream. We scorn fallows like these. Our sterner sex extols the joy of boiled jam rolls. We scorn digestive pills. Give us the food that fills. Who bravely stuff themselves with duff may laugh at doctor's bills. For medicine partake of kidney stewed with steak. Then plight our faith anew, three puddin' owners true, who boldly claim in friendship's name the noble Irish stew. Hurrah, hurrah, hurroo! The second slice has been eaten.